What the truck? I'm Dooner. That's the dude. And hey, we got to wish a couple happy birthdays here. We you do. do. Yeah, it's you a big do birthday. Burn. Hey, happy birthday to Mel, my wife. I love you so much. Happy birthday. Happy birthday. Well, what about America, too? Well, that's not yeah. until uh, Sunday. Well, look, this is the happy last episode birthday, before America then. And Mel, my happy beloved birthday, wife. Happy birthday, Mel. Happy birthday, America. We don't care what day it is. It's soon enough. Yeah, darn straight. Hey, any plans with the wife? We're for uh, Well, we've been. Uh, uh, so my two daughters took her out on dates. I took her out last night. Then we got the family thing tonight. So all weekend, anyway, blow off fireworks, man. It's that, that's the thing, man. All weekend. Beautiful. Well, hey, you know what? My kids, they want to go go-karting this weekend. They've never oh, yeah. gone before. But, you know, Mario Kart. A lot of listeners probably Mario Kart fans. I might have grown up yeah. in that generation with uh, Mario Kart cartridges in the NES. Found out something really interesting yesterday. This is one of the reasons I don't need cable, because YouTube got me covered. There's great documentaries on there, and one of them was on Mario Kart. What I learned was that Mario Kart started out as an F-02 sequel. It was going to be two-player split screen, but they couldn't get that FXX chip to render yeah. two different players going at the same time. So they made it a slower-paced game with smaller maps, and then they put the, the Mario characters in there. And it's, it's kind of cool, because I always think about that in our business. There's a lot of tech limitations happening, yeah. and people have to be resourceful and creative and uh, that was an interesting story about the uh, evolution it is an of interesting mario story I'm a, I'm a mario kart master but uh i did not know that that yeah. is uh that's cool yeah Very well cool. hey fireworks are popping off and i found out some really interesting facts about what happened last year and it came oh, across because yeah. i was looking at this and it said in may of 2020 boston reported a 2300 percent increase in 911 calls re- re- regarding illegal fireworks and i was like <laughs> How, how can that be? So we started looking into some of the consumption charts, right? Yeah. And what we found out was really astounding. When you're looking at the number of fireworks bought last year during lockdown 2020 compared to, so in 2019, 273 million, 273, yes, million pounds of uh, fireworks were sold, right? Yeah. In 2020, 404.5 million pounds were sold. And you go, how can that be? All these fireworks uh, <laughs> celebrations were canceled because of the pandemic. Yeah, well, wasn't the, yeah, wasn't the celebration the uh, public ones? Well, so we drilled deeper and we looked into these fireworks stats in that industry. And it turns out in 2019, 375 million uh, were, were sold, 1 billion total. Um, 375 million only went to the consumer market, uh, to the, um, the event market in yeah. 2019. In 2020, only 93 million went to the event market, but 1.9 billion total were sold. Yeah. Amazing stuff. Yeah, that's a that's a big change, right? Big jump. And <laughs> also a big, big change. Well, and then you look at injuries. So you go, you got yeah. this big jump in fireworks. So there was what, 9,992 injuries in 2019, 2020, 15,646. So be safe out there when you're lighting up the fireworks this year. Yeah, use your head. Use your head. Uh, uh, act like a professional. Learn what the professionals do and do that yourself. And don't get stupid. Do yeah. not dare people. Don't. No, it's not worth it, man. Yeah. Well, <laughs> on today's episode, we are talking about freight going virtual. And we'll look at the cloud data driving fleets on air, sea, and land. We also have Patrick Berglund back from Zanetta to carry mm-hmm. on that conversation. We're going to talk to uh, Nerfad about freight horror stories. So a lot of good stuff's going to be going on. But first, we got to tip the band. This episode is brought to you by Legend Transportation, which has been establishing partnerships to outstanding customer service since 2007. Learn more at, tell them, dude. NewLegendInc.com. Go there immediately after the show. Headlines. Yeah. 
All right, here's the news that a lot of people did not want to hear. House Democrats secede in boosting trucking insurance to $2 million. John Gallagher has a story on FreightWaves.com, but it goes a little like this. The U.S. House of Representatives on Thursday passed a highway reauthorization bill that includes a provision to raise trucking insurance liability from $750,000 to $2 million and uh, also mandates automatic braking on new trucks and increases scrutiny on truck dispatch services. The investing in a new vision for the environment and surface transportation in America which is the Invest in America Act, uh, passed the chamber largely along party lines, uh, as usual, by a vote of 221 to 201. It faces the significant hurdle, though, of getting approval in the Senate, Michael Vincent, which has yet to pass its own surface transportation bill. That is correct. The House bill includes $547 billion to reauthorize surface transportation programs within the Department of Transportation over five years, a $53 billion increase over the previous five years authorization known as the FAST Act. It includes $343 billion for highways, bridges, and road safety, and $95 billion for passenger and freight rail. Republicans claim Democrats packed the legislation with too much non-traditional infrastructure, over-relied on debt financing to pay for it, and ignored input from the other side of the aisle. Imagine that. <laughs> well, it sounds like it. And here's a quote, right? This is from a House T&I committee ranking member, Sam Graves, a Republican on Missouri. After the bill passed, he said the extreme partisan politics through the Democrats, which he calls the my way or the highway bill, give him a little <laughs> tap for that, aren't going to get the support needed to pass the Senate. So the majority has wasted another year on yet another messaging bill. Instead of working on a strong bipartisan proposal, we can take to the conference and the Senate. In addition to the insurance premium increase in an automatic emergency braking mandate. The bill includes other provisions for uh, obstructive obstructive sleep apnea, a move toward a requirement for side underride guards on trucks, uh, restrictions on the use of trucks for personal conveyance, and the use of electronic logging device data for transportation research. So it doesn't look like it's going to pass, but no. There it is. So a little good news, bad news to start you off. Headline two, we're talking about trucking jobs are finally showing growth, both seasonally and not adjusted. John Kingston, by the way, get well soon, John Kingston. Yeah, man. He, uh, he says the push to bring in more truck drivers may be starting to yield results. Good news. We need the capacity. In June, employment report in a June employment report released Friday morning by the Bureau of Labor Statistics, total jobs in trucking transportation on a seasonally adjusted basis rose 6,400 jobs in June to 1,486,500 thousand jobs the figure the figure in recent months has risen by only a small amount or in some cases declined despite the help wanted signs higher pay and sign on bonuses in truck carriers all across the country Right. The number of for the number for not seasonally adjusted jobs has even more eye opening. Right. In that category, jobs rose twenty four thousand five hundred jobs for the month to one point five million jobs. Economists tend to look primarily at seasonally adjusted numbers. But recently, some have cautioned that seasonally adjusted in a market suffering from the impact of the pandemic may be less reliable than in the past. And non seasonally adjusted numbers should carry more weight than previously. Good luck. Good luck if you're looking for warehousing and storage employment too. Well, good luck for you because there's been uh, employment's been lagging there, but we've also seen an upturn in June. So nature's healing. People getting back to work. I know it's the great resignation, so they might also be leaving jobs yeah. at the same time. But hopefully, we can retain some here in the colander that is the freight transportation retention market. Uh, <laughs> CDL holders, or speaking of the colander, here's some that got run through it. CDL holders banned from driving due to drugs and alcohol. Top yeah. sixty thousand. John Gallagher again here. He reports that the number of U.S. truck drivers sidelined due to substance abuse violations has surpassed sixty thousand and continues to climb to roughly two to three thousand a month, according wow. to federal data. 
The latest monthly report by the Drug and Alcohol Clearinghouse administered by the uh, FMCSA since January 2020 revealed that 60,299 CDL holders had a drug or alcohol violation record in the clearinghouse as of June 1st, up from 57,510 as of May 1st. Right. Drivers with at least one substance abuse violation are barred from operating a commercial truck until they complete a return-to-duty process, which includes providing a negative follow-up test result. The percentage of drivers who are completing the RTD process has steadily increased over the past year. That's good news. However, from 5.2% as of May uh, 1st, 2020 to 22.1% as of May 1st. So that's a significant jump in a percentage. You know what I hate, though? You know what I hate about this return to work thing? Yes, I do. Yeah, there's no rehab component to it. No. There's none at all. It's just, Mm -hmm. okay, pass a test. Yeah. Come back in a month and That's passing a test. That's not fixing a problem. Let's try a little harder. Yeah. Marijuana constantly tops list of substances identified in positive drug results. Far outpacing cocaine and methamphetamine, the second and third highest drug violations, respectively, among CDL holders. The number of violations now recorded in the clearinghouse stands out for another reason. It's, coincidentally, just a few hundred shy of an estimated number of drivers need to fill a shortfall of commercial driver ski pace with freight demand. And as you may have seen in the Weather Truck newsletter on Tuesday, go to FreightWaves.com slash WGT, subscribe to it. Um, what did we see in there? What am I trying to say here? I just forgot. Okay. No, we're seeing, uh, <laughs> there are violations quickly, just a few shy. I actually just forgot what I was going to say. Yeah. Oh, I was going to say something. It no, fright to me. Fright to me. Oh, rejections. Rejections yeah. are at 25%. They're yeah, they are. First time in June. One in four. Yeah. As we head into the holiday weekend. They That's are. where I was going. And rising. Jeez. So yeah. I'm all right. My head's almost halfway on the holiday. Good thing we had a guest here to save my butt. <laughs> yeah. It's Tobena Arodigobu. He's the CEO and co-founder of Cloud Trucks. They uh, raised a $20.5 million Series A in December. Nice. We're excited to have him here now. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Hey, where are you coming in from? Uh, I'm in San Francisco at the moment. Beautiful. Well, hey, you know, I saw an interview with you a couple years ago, and I think you were with a different company called Scotty Labs, uh, and it was focused on autonomous trucking. Cloud trucks, very different, dealing with the human capital and getting drivers behind the wheel and giving them a toolbox of tools. Tell us a little bit about that. Start the journey at Scotty, and how did you pivot over to cloud? Yeah, definitely. Uh, so so at Scotty Labs, you know, we, um, we were building an autonomous trucking company, but we had a very specific focus. The, the focus at the time was uh, how do we help uh, change hours of service requirements, help drivers stay on the road longer, and, and, and make these trucks safer. So it was never about getting drivers out of the cab. I am uh, not a big, big believer in that goal. Um, but while I was at Scotty Labs, you know, we were talking to a lot of truck drivers and talking about the future of trucking. And it was it was pretty obvious that uh, owner operator just had a lot of problems with the business of trucking, right? Uh, just managing, uh, managing their entire business and all the stuff that they had to deal with. And it was getting more and more complicated. So that's how uh, after after Scotty Labs was acquired by DoorDash, I decided to double down on that effort to, to help uh, truck drivers and owner operators specifically this time around. And, and and that's how Cloud Trucks was launched. Wow. So let's talk about Cloud Trucks a little bit, because from that description, you would think it's kind of a back office type of thing, right? Maybe accounting and that type of thing. It's much more than that. Can you talk about what Cloud Trucks does? Yeah, definitely. So, so at, at its core, you know, we we are uh, helping truck drivers be more independent, right? Uh, helping helping entrepreneurs basically, and uh, we help with with everything, uh, everything from uh, helping drivers make better decisions on what loads they take. We have we have something called a schedule optimizer that can help you generate more revenue around the country. Uh, so you don't really need to know what's going on in the freight market on a you know city by city uh, or 
lane-by-lane basis. Uh, We also help with uh, getting drivers paid much faster. Uh, So this this ultimately helps with their cash flow. So we have have a product called CT Cash. We worked on this with Visa. Um, And and that's a a product where uh, a driver can get paid uh, instantly after they complete uh, complete a load. Uh, I I believe that's a first of its kind uh, in the industry. And and we really want to solve a problem there where... um, uh, you know, cash flow cash flow problems really hit owner operators and sometimes drive them out of business. Um, and and you know, we, we we have a number of things in between. Uh, hey, Tobina, hold on a second. I got I have a few. Tobina, yeah. I, I have a couple screen yeah. grabs here. So let's go oh, through nice. them. And, and yeah, 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 we'll throw a visual in here. Yep. Schedule optimizer. Yeah. Let's right. take a look at that. So tell me yep. what we're looking at here. What is yep. this? What is this function? Yeah, yeah. So, so basically, you know, uh, today uh, there there are two primary ways that drivers get loads, right? They they go on a load board like like DAT, they search for a load, and and, and they're able to find the broker and book a load that way, um, or, or or they go on an app uh, with, with with a number of brokers. The problem is that uh, if you are a driver who's been an owner operator for a long time, you know exactly what's happening in the freight market at different points in the year. But if you're a new owner operator, you don't really know exactly what's happening in the freight market. Uh, so what the schedule optimizer does is rather than looking for a load, uh, like saying, uh, you know, I'm trying to go from LA to Dallas, or I'm trying to go to Florida, you don't really know if that's a good market. You just go in there and you say, here is what my schedule looks like for the rest of the week. Uh, I'm looking for the very best route for the next week. And I want to be in LA at the end of that week. And the schedule optimizer is builds you a schedule. It finds loads from different brokers, matches everything up together, shows you exactly how much you're going to make, uh, how much you're going to make per, per loaded mile, how much you're going to make per mile in general, uh, accounting for, for deadheads, and just ensures that you are maximizing your revenue uh, for that specific week. Nice. Deadheads even, guys like you. Yeah, yeah. So a deadhead can even use this. It sounds like. I mean, that's sweet. All right. I mean, Chad Nuga, I want yeah. to be back what about here fish next, fans? next Friday. What do I do? What about yeah? What about fish? Yeah. What, what about, about fish fans? Rockers? Toby, you what, about, what, what about, about punk rock? What about Sex Pistols fans? All right. What about instant booking? We've also got a picture of that. How does that work? <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So, so we we integrate with a number of uh, with a number of different partners. Uber Freight is one of those one of those partners. Um, and 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 basically, uh, when someone comes on the Cloud Trucks app and they search for a load, you're you're basically seeing results coming from hundreds of different brokers around the country. And if that broker accepts instant book uh, functionality, so like Uber Freight does, you can book it right there on the Cloud Trucks app. So you book the load. You don't have to leave the Cloud Trucks app. Uh, we get the the rate con. Uh, and, and then we're able to get it uploaded back into into the app. All of that stuff is automated, happens instantly. And this allows you to keep all of the jobs that you're doing across hundreds of brokers in one place. It makes it easier for the driver to track every single thing that they're doing and just simplifies the workflow, right? Um, nobody wants to download 100 different apps and do run the same search over and over and over again. Uh, so, so the instant book functionality just helps give you uh, access to those loads much faster and in one simplified workflow. Cool. Do we have the uh, uh, cash virtual card as well? Yeah. Tell us about that. Yeah, yeah. So, so this is this is what I was describing earlier. Um, so, you know, when when, when we started the company, 
uh, you know, as you know, a lot of drivers, what, one of the things we notice is a lot of drivers get paid 30, 35, 40 days after they complete a load. But they have these running costs every single day, right? You still have to pay for fuel. You still have to pay for insurance. You know, you still have to pay for your truck. So that doesn't really work. Um, and uh, we wanted a solution where we could get drivers access to their money instantly, right? Uh, the same day you complete that load, you should be able to get access to your money and, and you should be able to go out there and spend it. So that's what CT Cash is. Right there on the CloudTrucks app, you have access to a virtual card. You also have a physical CloudTrucks card. I, I actually have mine right here. Uh, so, so you have access to a physical CloudTrucks card uh, and you're able to just go out and spend your money. And if you decide that you don't want to use the, the, the CT Cash product or, or you want some of that money to be in your external bank account, you can do a transfer. It'll take two business days. It hits your external bank account. It's all for free. Um, so, and, and, and that's really something that we believe in. People should be able to get access to their money as fast as possible and not need to pay additional fees for that. You're also making it easier to obtain an actual truck. So not a virtual truck. You can get your, your own truck through the road to independence. What's that all, all about? Yeah. So, so you know, we, um, when we started the company, uh, initially we thought that we were, we were just going to be working with truck drivers who already owned their own truck. They were already uh, uh, independent. But one of the things that we found was that there was this uh, desire for a lot of people who are company drivers, maybe they're working for a large fleet. They want a little bit more control of their life. They want to determine their schedule. Um, so, so they wanted to become independent, but they were all always hitting this roadblock of how do I get my first truck, right? And, and, and so we went and we started talking to a number of dealerships to, to understand, like, what are the challenges that people face when they're trying to get their first truck? And from the dealership side, the biggest problem was, well, they didn't know how this person was going to perform when they became an owner operator, right? It's one thing to know how to drive a truck. It's another thing to know how to operate a business. So the Road to Independence program is uh, a partnership between us and a number of key dealerships around the country and will continue to extend that um, for, to make it easier for someone who meets very specific requirements to be able to, to purchase or, or lease uh, their first truck and get on the road. And, and like I said, you know, Cloud Trucks is all about um, uh, empowering these trucking entrepreneurs, and we're just trying to make that easy across the board. Right. So one of the questions that, that we have here is if AB5 over there, you know, in California, is that a, of a concern for you guys? Are you guys presenting yourself to shippers as a carrier and then utilizing this? Or you, you mentioned you had a partner, Uber. How does that work? Yeah. So, so, we, so we are a carrier. We're, we're a fully licensed okay. carrier. Uh, and and uh, the way the way we view ourselves is is uh, largely as a tech company, right? Uh, you know, this this type of relationship already exists in the trucking industry, uh, where you are a carrier, you have owner operators leased on, and we don't force dispatch anybody, so we don't control the schedules of any of the drivers who work mm -hmm. with us. We don't force any equipments on the drivers as well, uh, and the driver has full. Um, uh, you know, they, 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 they have full control of, uh, the rates that they're negotiating with brokers or shippers. So, so we don't really view ourselves in any, uh, having any issues with, with AB5. Gotcha. Now, Tobin, before we let you go, I got to ask you something big, big, long weekend here. Yeah. People oh, need yeah. to check out some movies. So best trucking movie, 
80s onwards, 70s would be too easy. So Black yeah. Dog, Over the Top, Maximum Overdrive, Joyride, or the recently released Ice Road? Oh, man. Uh, so I'm watching Ice Road this weekend, and okay. I feel like I don't want to answer that question until I watch it, because oh. uh, a bunch of people on my team have been talking about it, and, 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 and I want to see if that's going to change my answer. So, uh, so maybe I'll have to follow up with you on that one. Wait, what's your team saying? What's the early uh, reports, the early exit returns? Uh, early exit returns is, uh, it's a solid movie, uh, and they did not expect it to be a solid movie going into it. So, so that's why I'm very curious to see it actually. <laughs> Interestingly <laughs> enough. Well, Hey, it was great talking with you. How do yeah. people learn more about cloud trucks? Yeah. So just, uh, go on cloudtrucks.com. Uh, so you can, you can learn, uh, all about us on our website. We also have uh, a lot of different resources there, a lot of articles, and uh, and you can feel free to reach out to reach out to the team uh, on on the website as well. Thank you. Have a great Fourth of July weekend. We appreciate your time today. Hey, right, thank us, you so much. Awesome. Take care. Jo- joining us you. next, it's it's like we didn't even leave. If you caught our first segment with him with Patrick Berglund, CEO and co-founder of Zanetta, we were with him at our uh, what was that? Nalt's right? North it was American, at Nalt, yeah. North it, American Logistics Tech Summit. We yeah. had so much to get to. We we're so glad we get to have uh, a second session with him here. It's quite an honor. Thank you once again, Patrick. Thank you, guys. Good to see you again. Hey, I saw, and I, you know, I am really glad too. On LinkedIn today, I was looking around and I saw this awesome article that you posted. You were a co-author with uh, with Miguel Lind, oh, yeah. and you were talking yeah. about this really cool concept about uh, just-in-time arrival approach to to incorporate a slot management concept that includes a dynamic view and management of just-in-time uh, arrivals and depart and departures to better manage uncertainties. That's a mouthful, but tell us a little bit about uh, about that idea. It sounds really interesting. Well, I think I think today's situation showcases exactly just how vulnerable adjusting time principle is. I mean, it makes so much sense, but the way it's sort of like rigged and orchestrated and constructed in most cases these days, it's it's too fragile, right? And that's a little bit of the argument uh, uh, the the article is making, combined with the fact that in order to to make this set this up differently, there's a more collaborative approach that would be the optimal output of this. And and I, I, I'm a huge advocate of that in terms of what Sonata is built on. It's all built on a quid pro quo concept where all the participants uh, contribute data into the platform. Of course, we, in this instance, talk about pricing data. So we aggregate it into an, uh, anonymity, right? But in reality, if you think about supply chain, it's so fragmented and full of different stakeholders. I think in my QNET days, I think we mapped it out to about 16 different stakeholders that you needed to coordinate to bring something from inland China to inland US, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Talking about, you know, everybody, anything from uh, customs formalities on both ends to the ones stuffing or stripping the boxes and so forth. And, and, and just from that sort of 16 stakeholders, you can, you can zoom out and think about a company like um, those on our platform who has thousands of different trades around the world where all of those 16 stakeholders for each trade is knitted together the the output is doomed to be very suboptimal right and this is the same concept and uh, i'm thinking about this uh, article here where where it's a huge need for information sharing in order to make things more efficient in this industry and all stakeholders not all maybe but is sitting a little bit on their own data right and and this is represents a huge opportunity for for efficiencies and 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 I think today's world really demonstrate a, a good case for why that would be beneficial to everybody. It's really interesting stuff, and and what you're talking about there is is 
is so true is this this case is this this past 18 months is a is a is a great use case to to point towards the need for this but when you start talking about you know, there's 16 different stakeholders. This happens thousands and thousands of times over. Even with one customer, you're, you're talking about unbelievable powers of magnitude here. Is it something? Is is this a pipe dream to think that we can ever at actually achieve that type of efficiency? You imagine this maestro with thousands and thousands and yeah. thousands trying to conduct this huge orchestra in an industry that can't even <clears throat> agree on what a port of calls code number is. Right? <laughs> yeah, I, uh, you're absolutely right. And 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 listen, I I think. I think we all need to be able to dream big in order for really great things to happen. And I think just the development of society over the last 20, 30 years shows you how, exactly how much is possible. Think about all the stuff that we we know now and is in sort of our daily lives today, which we couldn't fathom or imagine 30 years ago. So I, I, I would actually uh, counter argue that and say, yes, it's absolutely a, a massive sort of almost illusion these days, but I genuinely believe that all of these things is going to come together with the development of technology over the next 20, 30 years even. What would an ideal slot management system look like? Well, I think it's above and beyond that. To me, it's about connecting all pieces across the supply chain, right? All those data pieces that would need to, to be combined. The combinatorics here is, is, is way, way beyond my even wildest imagination, but computers should be able to do this, right? Mm-hmm. And this is, how, this is how all sort of pieces of the supply chain could be utilized optimally with all those um, disruptions that constantly will happen, whether it's down to, you know, a flat tire or somebody, um, uh, somebody running into a, a storm on the ocean. You know, it's, it's, there are endless amounts of, of, of things that can happen in supply chains, which has these almost butterfly effects. Whether it's you know uh, onto a company that isn't even involved in that transportation, because you know it goes far and beyond just that single piece that is moving for one company. And I think that's that's the ultimate sort of like dream to me to think about how how could all of this data be pieced together and flow seamlessly and and then at that point the decisions and then the optimizations would not be done by any humans right but it yeah, would but, benefit us all greatly yeah and you and you talk about the you know the disruption from natural disasters etc and that that yeah. type of stuff but isn't part of the inefficiency in there because of different motivating factors from the players that are in there i mean imagine yeah, 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 an absolutely. assembly line or production line inside the four walls of a factory but the different machines and different stops had different motivations to have it happen isn't it because once we leave the four walls there's not a common goal seemingly yes you're right absolutely and 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 just think about like think about the incentives even uh, to give you almost like a perverse example here there's an even an incentive from a shipping line side to slow steam Mm -hmm. because it would just bring more friction into the situation we have today think about it financially they're almost incentivized to perform bad and and even even transatlantic trades that are currently booming right they're booming because the capacity and the boxes are moved to the Far East because the financial incentive to move them to the Far East is so big. It has nothing to do with whether it should be, you know, whether there's enough cargo that's going to be moved on the transatlantic combination. But it's people sitting there and making these decisions because it has a financial yield to them. So you're right. And in some sense, there's everybody have their own agenda, right? 
and will work to optimize that one. And that does not work in a <laughs> sort of collaative optimum scenario because it doesn't benefit them. Yeah, I mean, here's but it something benefits you're... the entire system. I mean, something you're probably very familiar with over in Europe is short, short sea shipping. That's a mouthful. Um, uh, short sea shipping, but you know, it only comes up here in the United States when there's a natural disaster. The Jones Act comes up. You know, we we're just not a shipbuilding country anymore. We're not a we don't flag our ships with the U.S., so it just right. doesn't happen. But do you think that short sea shipping in the United States could work, and would it ease congestion? Well, when you think about short sheet in the U.S., I assume you would think like entire North America and maybe even Mexico. To me, that's sure. like that there you could create like a, a system uh, more equivalent to what you find in Europe. Right. Yeah. Like a but you guys are also so, Yeah. But you guys are also so well connected with railways. So I think it's just a matter of like competitive uh, environment. Let me compare it in Europe. So if you bring if you bring a box from Rotterdam to Finland and Helsinki, right? They would typically go short sea. The alternative is truck. So when you compare these two modes, they're fairly similar in price. They can't, one can't be too far off the other one. Otherwise, you you know, customer switches. So it's more a matter of building up that network and then whatever the customer chooses uh, is historically based on price. What is the additional uh, let's say, dimension these days is that there is a big, huge sort of environmentally difference uh, in, in these two modes of transportation, right? You can move uh, a few thousand boxes by, over the ocean and uh, substitute that versus, you know, a few thousand trucks. And then all of a sudden, the the mathematics has a few different uh, dimensions to consider as well, right? Yeah, so Patrick, you you once uh, described uh, what's going on in maritime right now as, as, you know, the backlog is, you know, there's a car accident on a highway and it has to clear, right? Yeah. We just had a big car accident in Yanchin. What's going on there? Is all cleared up? We're all good to go? No, as, there's still there's still uh, uh, consequences uh, that's, uh, from, from that situation. And I, it remains to be seen how it sort of, whether there's other nearby ports that is going to be fully up and running as well. But the, the, the worst seems to be uh, gone or, or, or the, the, the capacity. Like at the worst point in time, I think it was down to 20% capacity at Yantian, yeah. uh, right? So so that seems to be gone. Uh, it will take plenty of time more still before everything is uh, uh, back to, let's say, normal. The problem is more to be on the lookout whether there's any other ports in the region that get stuck as well. doesn't matter if it's uh, Indian ports or uh, Singapore, for that matter, of uh, uh, or, or Southeast Asia, right? It will yeah. have the same consequence. And I think that's what I was trying to say with, you know, doesn't matter if it's Sydney, Long Beach, yeah. uh, Newark. Yeah. I mean, is there a big? I mean, we're talking. We hear about the Delta variant all the time. Every country is different. I, I know Australians are, are upset right now that they're being put in lockdown over a few cases. So this is still a pretty big risk of happening at any number of ports, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, this is this is one of the new things uh, that that's super makes it super fragile for supply chain overall, right? It, it's almost it, same with any factories if you get uh, st- struck there as well. Um, so it, it's just a matter of, of bringing capacity down anywhere it hits. And uh, uh, you know, going back to that analogy of of uh, a traffic jam, it's it's. It's a traffic jam that has multiple collisions already. So, you know, do another collision and it's going to take time before it clears up. Yeah. 
It, it is. The other th- one of the results of this is what's going on are the are rates, right? Mm. They're skyrocketing. You were talking about, what was it, $15,000? Inflation we hear about all the time now. Inflation is going on. <laughs> Let's talk about rates. What's going on with rates? Are, are $30,000 a TEU in the future or what from China to the West Coast? For those of you listening, too, who don't book global yeah. freight, international freight, that doesn't yeah. think this impacts you. You sure buy stuff, don't you? So it does. So listen right now. It's affecting. There's no doubt about it. What used to cost a couple grand is now $15,000 to get it across the Pacific. Yeah. Let's be clear on a few things, right? So so this is very interesting because what the smaller volume players are paying these days versus what the bigger volume players are paying is very, very different. We've never seen such a big spread in the market. And what I think is extremely important to understand is that there are incredible, rate, incredible rates out there, but every single month there are millions and millions of container boxes moved on a global scale. And you get a little bit the impression these days that the average box is moved at $15,000. Yet if you look at the financials of the shipping lines and the leading mm-hmm. forwarders that are stock listed, that does not up, right? So... It's really important to understand that these extreme rates, they do exist, but the majority of the boxes are moved on a very different price level. That being said, the market is doubled and tripled for also the bigger players. And we're seeing the, let's say, the more exotic trades, even though there are massive volumes being moved on those as well, we're also seeing them increasing now and and this is a little bit back to what we talked about originally that when you have spiking rates from let's say asia us asia europe asia south america then in order to compete with that on transatlantic combinations right then you need to increase the price on the transatlantic uh, combinations in order to make sure that there is capacity and boxes also on those trades so Mm. there is a substantial delay before you have these big, the, the highest rates, so to speak, is, is, is sort of rippled onto the other trades as well, right? So two elements, A, those extreme rates does not exist on a global level. It's the main outbound Asia connections. And there are massive volumes moved on what we call long-term market, which is a, a fraction of what we see in the media and what we see in these short-term indices. Yeah, I mean, most right. smaller three um, PLs, Patrick, that that I've worked at, uh, we we they don't go directly to steamship lines. They actually go to overseas agents, and and they combine together, they yeah. create conglomerates, then they leverage the steamship lines. Uh, who is the most at risk in an environment like that? Is it the these smaller three PLs and digital brokers that can't leverage their freight? Is it the small shipper who's getting hit the worst? I think the the dynamic that you're mentioning there is probably one of the most interesting dynamics I've seen since I've I've joined this industry because there's been like several attempts of vertical integration from the carrier side. They publicly said we would like to eat a bigger piece of the pie of the freight forwarders. They're middlemen. They offer some value-added services on top, but they're reselling a lot of our services. We would like to do some of their services. And the biggest shipping lines have, have announced this and they've acquired uh, uh, NVOCCs, as you are well aware, they integrated that into their own businesses. And what we're seeing currently is that they're penalizing forwarders and favoring BCO direct, right? So they're trying to, they're literally offering offers where they say, hey, here's a, let's say, $8,000 rate. It could be a $6,000 rate or $4,000 rate if you also buy these warehouse services, right? 
And the big difference back from, let's say, 2010 or whatever, they had a big push on this, is that they now do this from a very healthy financial situation. Right? Over the last decades, carriers have been, struggled financially. They were close to bankruptcy. Some has, uh, uh, quite a few have disappeared from the market, whether they went bankrupt or uh, got acquired. Right? The the sort of outlook for the entire carrier shipping lines over several years, tens of years, have been really weak. Now they're super strong and they're coming at the forwarders. So there's some very interesting dynamics in play at the moment. So, Patrick, what is the what is, what does it look like moving forward and in, into the future here? Uh, COVID outbreaks and shutdowns notwithstanding, do these rates in this situation is it sticky? How sticky is this? So I'm gonna so I'm gonna actually uh, make an argument today that, mm. that you know yes I know it's cyclical this industry but mm-hmm. um, if you look at what we're facing now we're facing a holiday season an early peak season with Christmas we're facing hurricane season season we're facing golden week we have one percent idle tonnage 12 months ago we had 10 percent idle tonnage that could be introduced in the market and try to put some uh, uh, downward pressure on the rates and um, so there's nothing more to, uh, to sort of put back in the market for 2022 uh, iahs market is predicting a demand growth of 4.9 percent and a capacity growth of 3.2 that's Bad news for the customer side. In 2023, demand growth again outstrips capacity growth at 3.1% versus 2.1%. So I struggled a little bit to see how this is going to be uh, better in the short term, to be honest. And and put on top the fact that the shipping lines now finally knows how to make massive amounts of money. Yeah, Why absolutely. would they allow overcapacity to happen again? But you see China uh, increasing production of containers. They produce like almost all of them in the world anyways. But uh, so there, that doesn't mean anything, huh? We don't, don't read much into that. It's, it's one of the dimensions that, that is required in order to improve the circumstances. Yeah. And, and now you sort of start touching upon some interesting almost geopolitical uh, things that also need to be factored in. If mm-hmm. Southeast Asia and, and particularly maybe China – uh, Asia as a region has any fear of losing their position as the, let's say, world production hub, then there might be political interest that could step in here and, uh, you know, force these rate levels down. Because at the current level, there is there's simply too much cargo that can't be moved with uh, let me ask you something. So I've been talking to a number of different people about this subject. And, you know, there's different point of views on the market. Some think it's going to recede. I, I don't think that it wills. Yeah. But then the question comes in mind. Um, your holiday season's coming up. Christmas coming up here in the U.S. If you're a typical American shipper with a, with a relationship with China, you're having goods coming in from maybe Yantian, maybe Shenzhen, wherever. Um, how much of a pull forward do you need this year to have your inventory in time for the holidays? Given this situation, I would move as quickly as I possibly yeah. could, right? Depending on all the circumstances and whatever they have, depending on the, their financial uh, financials, whether they can, you know, front load the cargo. So I would move as quickly as I possibly could because we. One thing we've learned over the last eighteen months, right, is that we we've had one incident after the other, and it all feels like bad luck. But at this point, I would say I would expect more to happen. So if you're desperate in terms of, of getting it in time, move as fast as you can and as early as you can. 
Always a pleasure having you on the show. Where do we send Absolutely. people to learn more information? Go to snato.com and uh, we'll provide tons of information. Thank you so much. We would thank you again for giving us over a half hour of your time this week. We appreciate it. Appreciate Thanks, that. Brother. Thanks for having me on, guys. Really a thank pleasure. You. So, Vincent, you and I, we're very experienced in this business, as we mentioned before. We both worked in, sure. in Global Freight. And we hear a lot of people speak. Nobody I speak to on the show knows more about the dy- underlying dynamics of ocean freight than that man that we just spoke to. Uh, I would t- I would agree. This and week is the not first time close. I've met him and spoken with him, and it is he's the most intelligent and knows more not about the underbelly even close. than anybody not, else. Not smoke, nothing there. All no fire coming out of him. Yep, Listen no. to every single word he said there because that was gold. Okay. Yes, it was. Again, we'd like to thank our friends at Legend Transportation for sponsoring today's episode. Legend partners with strategic customers while providing seamless solutions for its drivers and is West Regional's premier freight transportation company. <laughs> Learn more at, tell them, dude. NewLegendInc.com. Go there immediately after the show, then go buy some fireworks. All right, who wants to vent over some freight horror stories? I know I Nerfad Nerfrick does. He's the VP of sales uh, for Lowly. I believe he's over in uh, beautiful Canada. I don't know. Is it 118 degrees over there, Nerfad? I, I saw in the Arctic Circle. I don't know. Things were heating up. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. It's crazy up here. I mean, we're we're having like here. It's not where I am, and I'm in Windsor, Ontario. So like my my house is eight miles from downtown Detroit. So I mean, it is Canada, but it's you know it's hey, not that so he's like so he's like 12 miles away from the arctic circle he's he's yeah. not quite yeah. or he's yeah. battle rapping yeah. eminem on the eight mile over there <laughs> yeah. hey, Nervin, I, I have a great quote I, from you i have a great quote you put here you said logistics with any any supply chain is the operating system behind the organization's eventual success or failure just tell us why you feel that way um i feel that if uh, if a company's logistics strategy or logistics um essentially organization within the organization is is bad or lacking or dysfunctional i mean they they get hit like crazy financially they get hit uh with capacity issues they get hit with all the worst uh, even claims i mean if if you don't have us at the your shipping docks properly set up if you don't have people that know what they're doing loading and offloading trucks it can get really messy and that's why it's it's an operating system it really is i mean with without logistics supply chain is is no longer i mean you don't have a supply chain so no you absolutely don't and there's so many no so many nefarious characters out there that are willing to take advantage of you as well. You know what I'm saying? No doubt. But hey, we got a video. Can we play this video? Yeah, let's play this video. And I'd like you to to tell us something. Is this exactly really how freight contracts work? Yeah. Show us the video here, real quick. Let's take a look at this thing. All right. So, boom. The ball. There you go. So let's break this down. The ball. <laughs> the ball is the market. The can of beer is the contract. And then you got the shipper and the carrier. And yeah, they, yeah, who's getting hit with the can can change. Yeah. Right now, it's the shipper who's lying over in the rocks. Uh, <laughs> and the pretty... carriers are jumping on uh, <laughs> yes. with the ball going, yeah. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. That's basically how it works. Are people, are people um, staying to their commitments right now that, that, that you're seeing? You know what? I mean, this this week and last week were were horrendous. I mean, yeah. I I don't really I don't care who you are in this industry. If if you're if you're directly involved in the operation side of things, us small little guys, as I say, as we are. I mean, it's it's the light it's the it's the uh, lifeline of our business. We have to be involved in the booking of freight, and dispatching, tracking, all that stuff, whether it's digital or not. 
And I mean, right now it is people are not staying faithful at all. I mean, there's they're jump. I just they're jumping ship for like forty cents more a mile on a load that's already paying four dollars a mile. You know, yeah. and it's and, and I'm not talking uh, a local run. I'm talking OTR four dollars a mile, and they're still jumping ship. You know, giving excuses that that just make no sense. I mean, just make no sense. I mean. First, the truck's broken down, then the truck is fixed, then the truck is broken down, then the truck is fixed, then the truck gets pulled over by DOT all within 20 minutes. I mean, what is it? Is it, is it, is it the DOT or, or did you find another load, you know? And, and that's just, uh, it's, it's bad. I mean, it, 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 the last two weeks have been bad. For me personally, that doesn't mean that everybody's every everybody under the sun. But I've talked to a few people and they, they feel the same way that there's there's a lot of recovery happening. You know, you you book a guy or or or, or a girl to to run your load and and you you get you know you get it and everything you know you, the the load confirmation is signed. Everything is good to go. You you have the truck and trailer number. Everything doesn't matter. It gets it gets thrown back in your face. So. Um, Nerfat, vent a little bit. Share, share yeah. uh, from your experience. Share a horror story with us. What is what's one of the worst experiences you've had in freight so far? I'll, I, I want to, in in addition to these bad ones, I don't, I don't <laughs> want people to think that I'm just like this guy that just. You will end up. on a win. So give us a bad I'm, one. We'll let you. We'll let you end on a win. A good okay. one. Okay, we'll we'll end on the win. But uh, to begin, um, in, ter- in terms of the in terms of uh, bad ones, uh, there was one out of Texas going up to Canada. Um, loading out of Laredo, going up to uh, a big manufacturing plant in, in Canada. At the time, my number one customer. And um, the guy booked a day in advance. So he said, yeah, it's team drivers. I'll give you both guys' names, both guys' cell phones. Everything's good to go. Um, and this was this was just before the visibility stuff played a role. This was like where you had to pick up the phone and and find out where the guy was and where macro point was just starting. So it was like glitchy and, and, and not going and not going that kind of stuff. Anyways, they, they told me, okay, we arrived at pickup. They were two hours early. Right. So I was like, all right, perfect. So I told my customer they arrived early. They told me about an hour later that they're loaded up. They're ready to go. Um, they gave me a bill of lading number, weight pieces, all that stuff. I had no excuses to, they even asked for the customs broker, who the customs broker on the load was. So I, I had no doubt in my mind that these guys picked the load up and everything was good. Four and a half hours later, the customer calls like, where the F is my, you know, truck? You know, why didn't you guys pick up all this stuff? She was screaming. I mean, she was so upset. And um, at the time, I was still relatively fresh in the industry. So I was freaking out. It's like, oh, my God, I'm going to lose a customer. Like, this is crazy. So I start freaking out and I call this guy. I'm like, hey, like, uh, you know, they're telling me that your truck never arrived. And uh, the guy said, yeah, actually, he's going to be there in two hours. I'm like, you gave me a bill of lading, weight and pieces. And he just hung up on me. And that, that and then I had to recover that same load. I had to find another guy. I lost $2,000 in addition to the profit margin of, it was like $400 profit margin. In addition to that $2,000 to find another truck to go in ASAP. We pick the freight up. I find out halfway between whatever the town, I don't remember the town or city at the time, but from Laredo up to Dallas, like halfway in between, um, that it wasn't a team again. So then I had to find a cross dock in Dallas 
to transload these guys on another truck. And this time I was like, okay, I need like six phone numbers. If you can get six guys in a truck, I will book you. Like just, just get this thing to Canada. So then I find a truck, perfect team, everything good to go. Trailer less than 10 years old on the road. They break down in Indianapolis. I had to transload it again in Indianapolis with a tow truck to haul the actual freight over to a cross dock and the truck. And so I was like, like in limbo, like waiting for this guy to get fixed and also trying to find a truck to pick up. And that was all just on one like load ID. Like that was just one load. And we finally delivered, we delivered like, it was like 15 hours later, something, something like that. So yeah, there was some issues, corrective action reports that needed to be filled out. Customers stayed on board. They still gave me freight after that, but I had to be honest with them. Like, like, I explained to them too. Like I, I mean, my hands are, I, I'm, I'm the messenger in this case as a freight broker. I am the messenger. I'm telling you what these guys are telling me. So this just goes to show how much visibility now is important. You know, it's like a, it's like a, uh, an added, an added dome of trust. So it's like, yes, this is my truck here. Here is a link to the physical truck that I booked for you to yeah. move your freight. And and you can look at this link anytime you want. And if you don't feel like that, I'll do that for you. We will track it. If you want one hour updates, four hour updates, eight hour, it doesn't matter. We'll do it. So that's why I love this like digital revolution and tracking and visibility and stuff. It, it goes a long way. Hey, Nerfat, we got we have about a minute left. So give us your win too. So we don't leave you on this bitter note. Yeah. So the win is actually um there's a guy who his name was Eugene, a truck driver. Um he was out of Detroit. And he's, he'd always call me up. He'd like, yeah, like, uh, I got to get to, uh, I got to get down to uh, Kansas City. I got to see a girl. So that was his excuse all the time. <laughs> so he'd call and he'd give me like the cheapest rates out of Detroit just to go see this girl in Kansas City. And I'd book him freight. And in turn, I'd buy like puppies from him. I'd buy honey, T-shirts. Um, what else? I have Moon, moonshine kits, uh, like a moonshine, like a, yeah. the big uh, brass Stuff, yeah. Still? So, <laughs> yeah. So this this guy was this guy was full out. So I mean that was just I mean it, if your drivers are out there and they're side hustling, they're trying they're trying to make yeah. an extra dollar on the side. Why not? I mean yeah. why why not support them? Whether it's honey or moonshine kits or whatever, um, go for it. Well, hey Nerfat, if people want to connect with you, where do I send them to? LinkedIn would probably be the best. I am active, as you see daily on LinkedIn. I'm always sharing stories and stuff. So, you know, just my first and last name, I'm probably the only nerf ad in, in a 7,000 mile radius. So, Hey, take it easy, man. Thanks for joining us today. Thanks, nerf ad. Hey, cheers guys. Respect. Peace. All right, man. Little good news, bad news. Little good news, bad news. Good news, it's 4th of July weekend. Hey, maybe you're already partying, right? Maybe you're watching this on demand. Here's the bad news, though. There's a hurricane brewing, right? Ooh, Tropical is. storm Elsa. She's not going to let it go. No. She's strengthened, actually, into a hurricane Friday morning, yep. making a beeline towards the Caribbean at 8 a.m. Eastern time on Friday. As of today, Elsa was centered just 20 miles southwest of Barbados. Service observations from Barbados indicate that Elsa's maximum sustained winds could be uh, near 75 miles per hour. It's uh, making it a Category 1. Gusts have actually reached 86 miles per wow. hour so far, so it could be increasing. It's going to make landfall in South Florida late Monday into early Tuesday. So just as you're coming back from work, just as you're coming back from the holidays, 
you're going to have to contend with this. Right now, they're saying 60 miles per hour between 74. But as you know with hurricanes, be hurricane aware. You don't want to get caught in that flooding and that damage. What do you got? Yeah, you never know. Good news. So uh, (laughs) police confiscated 2,000 kilograms or about 4,400 pounds of illegal fireworks in Los Angeles. Uh, that put and then they put them in a disposal unit, right? Yeah. To and where they were all set to render them inert and useless. Okay, my friend, which is no big deal, yeah. right? So how's their bad news? Well, it didn't work, my friend. Oh, yeah. And <laughs> instead of this being inert and useless, the entire hall of fireworks exploded on the bed of the semi, injuring seventeen police officers. Wow. Cars and houses were damaged by the blast. With investigators remaining on a site to make sure buildings were safe, it just went up. And irony of irony. Boom. Yeah, irony of it. They take the safety, so a bunch of illegal fireworks, people, regular yeah. citizens uh, aren't shooting them off, but then the cops themselves ended up getting nailed with them. Yes. Uh, well, tough luck. Well, last yeah. month, I mean, not tough luck. I hope those officers get yeah. get, get fined, right? Yeah. The, the truck yeah. that got destroyed, too, if, if you've seen the video online, we don't, oh, I don't have a copy of it. How, but how, Cars wow. flipped over. Yeah. It was a massive blast. Massive. All right, last month, despite a cyber attack, Navistar was still able to merge with trends. So good That's news, right? right? That's right. Bad news, data apparently stolen from Navistar International Corp. has been leaked onto the dark web, exposing detailed financial information less than a month after the heavy truck and military vehicle manufacturer disclosed the cyber attack. The data appeared Wednesday on Marquito, which bills itself as a marketplace for stolen data. Wow, everybody's got a concept. Um, it consists of 82 <laughs> files, which appear authentic on the site's operations offered. Uh, preview for a 330 gigabyte trove being available for auctions. So... Did they pay the ransom? I don't know, but just another data breach. By the way, if you're watching this on LinkedIn right now, guess what? They leaked 92% of your data, too. Mine as well. Maybe. Yeah. Know, maybe lucky 8%. Do you envision, like, a Meacham car auction? <laughs> I'll give you $20 million for that. What's next? Good news, my friend. Do yeah. we have pictures of this? We have video. We got video? Oh, we got video. Yeah, totally let's, let's do it here. Go Whis- for it. Yeah, go for it. Whistle go for it. Pig, Whistle debuts, pig first- debuts world's first ever whiskey aged in a semi-truck traveling across country. Uh, Let's let's take take a a look look at it. (laughs) Whistle Pig's mission is simple. Create the best and most complex whiskey the world has ever tasted. Once again, Whistle Pig Whiskey will make history with the first ever finished on the road all-American double cask finished whiskey. The Whistle Pig Roadstock Rolling Rickhouse will be loaded with Firestone Walker beer and Jordan wine finishing casks for an epic 6,000-mile cross-country journey from Vermont to California and back. Paying homage to the early whiskey runners and to help ensure safe passage, Whistle Pig's aged whiskey-powered Dodge Challenger Hellcat will convoy with the rolling rickhouse. Wow. Yeah, it's pretty amazing <laughs> stuff, right? The only bad news and I can figure out of this, yeah. uh, Dooner, is if you're a whiskey connoisseur, it's only $72 a bottle of this. So it's it's far cry from their boss hog, which is seven k. Wait, is 7, that thousand? But is that the guy Nerfad was talking about? What's that? Nerfad was getting the getting the wound shine. No, but that's yeah. Well, I mean, he was just being coy. He might have been. Why? Why the charger? Just like just to be cool. I think it's just to be cool. I think it's more like a a, a, maybe a smoking in a bandit type of thing, right? Maybe. I don't. Maybe we're fast in the running like six thousand miles across the country with that. Yeah, very cool. Well, bad news. Sea Life reports shortly after 1 a.m. north of Orondo 70, north of Orondo, a 71-year-old truck driver, Conda Reedy, was northbound on Highway 97 at mile marker 227, the, uh, according to the Washington State Patrol. For reasons, though, for reasons unknown, he drove through the guardrail <laughs> and ended up floating down the uh, Columbia River. We have a picture of this. Look at that thing. 
went right through the guardrail. And it was at nighttime, so that's why it was hard to see. Um, Kathleen Smith on Facebook, she took some video and some pictures of it. She said she hopes the driver's okay. Well, I started with the bad news, so I do have good news. All right. What the, is it? A motorist noticed those rocks on the highway. They called the police. A responding trooper arrived to find the damaged guardrail and the tractor trailer floating in the river. Um, but the reefer, they were, she was going to pick up some produce. The reefer they were in, that sealed reefer, kept it afloat. It kept it buoyant, and it may have saved Conta's life. I am telling you. Yeah, he was able to get out of the cab, and he swam to shore just as rescuers arrived. Dude, whoever produced that reefer? Yeah. They, they need to get that. And that's an advertisement right there, my friend. A freight may still be Saves good lives. And that, talk that about sealed. airtight, sweet seal on that thing. I've got some good news for you. What man. is it? You're a 21-year-old Tennessee man driving through Murfreesboro, and you got a cache of fireworks, and you got uh, your 20-year-old girlfriend riding shotgun with you, my friend. You're getting oh. ready for just an incredible, bombastic weekend. You're going to yeah. blow up all kinds of Life is good, my friend, right? Yeah. Here's the bad news. At 9.30 p.m. on Wednesday, near Forest Drive and North Highland Boulevard, uh, this Tennessee man decides he is going to shoot a mortar out of his sunroof. (laughs) Things go awry. Can you imagine? Something went wrong with this. The mortar explodes. He loses his hand. The female in the vehicle with, with him suffered head injuries, minor burns, her neck and upper back, and complained of ear pain. Oh, yeah. No wonder, right? Cops tried to find his hand. They can't. Yeah, <laughs> they can't. And meanwhile, the Daily News Journal reports police reported a group of people shot fireworks at passing cars, causing drivers to swerve off the road, avoid being hit at Forest Lee streets between midnight and 2 a.m. on Monday. Suspects also shot fireworks at Murfreesboro police patrol units. Wait, what? Dude, d- yeah. What was no, going on? I don't know, man. It, it's, the, things are going down in Murfreesboro. How far is Murfreesboro from here? I don't think it's all that far. Do you want to go look for his hand after the show? <laughs> It might be too late to put it on ice. It might be too late. Well, you know, there's a there's a great documentary, um, and wow. it might still be on Netflix. It's called Finders Keepers. Yeah. And it's about this guy. He lost his he had his foot amputated, right? And then yeah. they for some reason the doctors gave him the foot back or he amputated himself. I'm not exactly sure. I forget exactly how he, he comes in possession of his own foot, but it becomes mummified. And at some point, he has no place to put it and display it, so he puts it inside of a barbecue oh, yeah. grill. He closes the lid of the grill, puts it in the garage, forgets about it. Eventually, they have a yard sale. The, they sell the grill. Someone buys it, and someone, the guy who buys it is like, hey, I found a foot in this grill. <laughs> the story ends up on the news. It goes viral. The guy who found the foot, he starts making T-shirts, like, I'm the foot finder, finder's keepers. Yeah. The guy whose foot it was wants to sue him back. He's like, look, it was just a simple mistake. I didn't know my foot was inside the grill. You know, come on, man. It's my foot. <laughs> Well, the guy's like, no, you can't have your. He really wouldn't give him his foot back. And you sold me a foot, man. This guy tried Got to start a like a friend, but like with viral stories, like within you know a month or two, this was out of the news cycle. Nobody yeah, cared. Yeah. The guy wasn't selling any more shirts, and I think it had a pretty sad ending. The guy who wouldn't give the shirt the the foot back, he uh, ended up getting really depressed. And I think he kills himself at the end of the documentary. Oh my god! Yeah, That's I know. So maybe, awful. maybe don't watch that one with the kids. Wait. What am I going to do with my foot? Ah, just put it in this grill right now. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, no, I, I just put my foot in the grill. Yeah, just put my foot here. I'll just store it here inside this grill. Well, I mean, if you were a judge, right? I mean, would you give the guy a foot back if you accidentally bought a foot at a, uh, like, you buy a mousetrap and you open up the lid and it's like, that's a foot. Yeah. Well, yeah, if I was a judge, I'd give him his foot back. Okay. Happy birthday, America. Happy birthday, Michael Vincent's wife. Have a great 4th of July weekend. Peace and love. Thank you to our guest today. Thank you, listeners, for tuning in. You can find the show wherever you get podcasts. Look up What the Truck. Download Freightway app. Watch all the stuff. Catch us live and in person November 8th to 10th at F3. It's Frazier's birthday as well, so happy birthday, audio man. Now, speaking of audio, we'll catch you. Peace and love, everyone. Peace and love.